2: Welcome to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchek. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, The Doctor's Lounge is broadcast on America's Web Radio and is available by podcast anytime that you would like. Just go to your podcast application and search under the Doctor's Lounge and you will find us. We thank you very much for your support. We are in less than two years up to nearly 20,000 podcast downloads a month. And that is uh, not a reflection on us, but on you, the listener, for uh, your support support, and, uh, and we are uh, very grateful for that. The Doctors' Lounge is sponsored by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. We are a 501c3 charitable organization. Your donations to us are tax deductible, uh, and we are very grateful for your donations. Uh, we need your donations, your financial support to uh, continue the work of this radio show and uh, the, uh, the other work in, in the educational realm that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation does. We are, do- we are dedicated to education. We are, educated to the, are dedicated to the empowerment of the physician and the patient. We believe that doctor and patient work best together uh, when outside interference is minimized, when doctor and patient are free to discuss treatment options, when they are free to discuss very transparent pricing, um, when they are unencumbered by technology and regulations that have been forced to be built to distract rather than enhance. Uh, And we are uh, we are again very grateful for your support. So these two months May this month, June next month are very important months in the history of health care regulation in the United States because we are in a review period. If you will, what is technically called a, a public comment period, I believe, uh, for a very, very significant piece of regulation called the Medicare Access and CHIPS uh, Reaffirmation Act or reinstatement act or something like that. And I forget exactly what it's called, but it's a it is a very, very uh, important body of regulations uh, that has been uh, that this legislation enhanced or or empowered the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services to write an entirely new body of regulation that is meant to incorporate existing regulations that sort of live in a corner over here and a corner over there and sort of bring those all together and ball them up and put them into one very comprehensive body of regulations and that the the proposed rule has been issued – and is in a public commentary period. And what happens in the next few months between the time we have this preliminary proposed rule and the final rule near the end of the year is going to be extremely critical for how medicine is practiced uh, over the next several years. And so it is, of course, appropriate in this setting to discuss how that rule is going. And to that end, um, I have a very special guest with us today, Dr. Mark Siegel, Mark Siegel, Ph.D. He is vice president of government and industry affairs at General Electric, one of the major uh, EMR vendors. And in fact, I'm delighted to say our EMR vendor. Uh, And and he works closely with the Washington office and directs participation with various government and industry groups to define advocacy agendas and coordinate responses like we're going to talk about today um, to regulations and directions and he's he's got a lot of um, a lot of things he does outside of that job he's held various positions inside the health information management Systems society uh, the electronic health record association these are chairmanships vice chairmanships uh, high level stuff so uh, mark is a a big mover and shaker and uh, we are delighted to have him with us today mark thanks again for being on the show
1: you are very welcome. It's great to be here with you and your listeners. Uh, I do need to do just a, a small correction. Okay. A title: the, the vice president title is bounded to GE Healthcare IT, the particular part of GE that I it's my privilege to work with.
3: Oh, okay. Uh,
1: Fair but, enough. But, but yes, yeah, I've been spending, I actually spent a good bit of this past lovely weekend here um, reviewing the nearly uh, ninety nine hundred. Uh, pages uh, of these new regulations, um, and as you say, they really are. Um, the final version of these will be one of those um, really fundamental changes in how Medicare pays for um, for physician services and that of other uh, clinicians. Um, th- these kinds of changes um, really come about every you know decade and a half, and um, they also, as you know, tend to. Um, To bleed into the private sector, as we saw with DRGs and RBRVS and those other uh, wonderful initials that we've all uh, grown to love. So very important. Um, The um, regulations were issued um, in the Federal Register. That's where the federal government publishes um, regulations and other sorts of things. Uh, They were published the 27th of last month. And so with a 60-day comment period, we're looking at um, really a very intense two months with formal comments due back to the federal government June 27.
2: So that is is a good point to sort of encourage everybody who's listening that, uh, you know, if you – have the time and the inclination the more comments that come in uh the more powerful our voice will be so after you listen to our conversation here uh, today if you are so inclined and i encourage you to do it uh please uh, pick up your proverbial pen your keyboard literally there is a website for uh that is uh at um, cms.gov for uh, entering comments and uh and we we encourage you to do that because the more they hear from folks and i don't care if you're a doctor or not the more that folks hear the stronger uh, our voice can be and the more they understand that uh, that they are you know thanks to social media and and internet technology and that sort of things so i think far more under uh, scrutiny than they have been the last time this came around, like you said, many uh, many years ago, Mark. So, um, can you give us just an outline? And, and this is actually a very heady question and 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 difficult to do. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, the fifty thousand foot view of of what this regulation says and does sure. and is at least supposed to do.
1: Absolutely, Mike. So first of all, this, this um, legislation called MACRA um, that, that you referenced. It did something that um, I think the, um, many of us have been hoping would happen for some time, uh, which is the repeal of the sustainable growth rate. That's that formula that Medicare has been using to annually adjust Medicare physician payments that as it sort of worked out over time, and in a past life I was actually involved in, in sort of the, um, working at the American Medical Association on the, the predecessor of this, and dealing with those policy issues. But it was, you know, every year projecting to get doctor payments more and more in the hole, you know, approaching, you know, a 30 percent payment cut for a given year. And so every year Congress had to act to prevent that. Um, Often they had to actually make changes um, to prevent those cuts, you know, a couple times a year. Those sometimes were called the doc fix. Yeah, and we remember that,
2: those. There were even times when uh, we uh, they they informally instructed us to hold our claims when the deadline absolutely. passed, and the re- and the uh, and we couldn't submit claims to Medicare until they got the fix fixed.
1: That's right. So what MACRA did is, is they there was a you know congressional agreement of a way to eliminate this, um, and, and one of the big challenges is that. The the, the federal budget, the congressional budgeting, assumed those cuts, and so even though they really didn't happen year after year, it, it in fact, sort of on on the books, was very expensive, would have been very expensive to get rid of it. So they're able to work things out in this macro legislation, in part by replacing the prior approach to how Medicare paid for physician services and, and that of related clinicians. Uh, with an entirely new system, um, and, and that system really has two tiers. The one that's closest to the current Medicare fee-for-service approach, uh, again, we, we need more acronyms in healthcare, don't we, Mike? Y- yes, it's thank you, Kevin. called the based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, and I think we'll all be hearing more about MIPS. Yes. And, and what MIPS does is it, it either replaces or integrates um, – sort of much of the the, the current alphabet soup of of programs that increasingly are becoming penalty programs uh, for physician payments, Um, meaningful use, uh, the PQRS program, the Value-Based Modifier Program. Meaningful use is is retained but kind of transformed, which we can talk about. Uh, PQRS and the Value-Based Modifier Program are really sunset and entirely replaced by this new system although it will we'll pick up on, uh, at least initially, on, on some of their components.
2: Well, I think there's the, a fair amount of PQRS uh, DNA. I'm getting too many letters myself, but I think the DNA of PQRS is still in there in places.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and so MIPS will start affecting payments in 2019, and those will be based, um, and we can talk a bit more about this, but those will be based on, on what physicians do, um, and other affected el- clinicians, what they call eligible clinicians, um, starting next year in 2017. Uh, as you know, um, for a variety of reasons, Medicare, for these kind of programs, generally does a two-year look back. And so payments um, in 2019 will be affected by what happens in 2017, which is obviously less than a full year away. and. Um, you know, this, this program is heavily focused on quality measurement, on performance measurement, on, on the use of what they call certified EHR technology. So that's one track, and that's really, you know, a fee-for-service substantially augmented by, by payment for value. The second major track is called the Alternative Payment Model track, or, again, the acronym being APMs. And those um, folks who are involved in the most advanced APMs, especially those that, that that take on significant risk, they're exempt from MIPS. They're they're really exempt from from much of the uh, specific, somewhat prescriptive nature uh, of these programs, and will you know really be much more focused and affected by the, the policies of the alternative payment model. You know, which could be, for example. Uh, a next-generation accountable care organization, or um, tracks two and three of the Medicare Shared Savings ACO program. So those become really the two major tracks um, of the program. Initially, um, CMS is projecting that most of what they're now calling eligible clinicians, they're actually doing some rebranding, so we all became used to talking about eligible professionals. They're now talking about eligible clinicians, and they're saying that most of these, at least initially, will be in the MIPS program. Uh, so, for example, they're forecasting, you know, about 700 to 750,000 eligible clinicians in this MIPS program versus about 30 to 90,000 in the advanced APMs, although both their expectation and intent is that, that really things will shift away from MIPS over time. To the advanced APM model.
2: But in terms of what's going to affect the future of most docs, probably some 90% or more, it's really the MIPS program more so than the alternative payment model programs.
1: That, that, that's right. Uh, you know, one of the important points is that there, there you can be in certain types of alternative payment model. Um, you're not exempt from MIPS, but you actually get some additional credit in, in, in one of the important MIPS categories, which we can talk about, called clinical practice improvement activities. Yes. Um, it's also worth pointing out that folks who participate in, in some of the Medicare um, um, well, you know what, Mark? We're control. already, we're
2: already. I've been, you've been so captivating. We are already twenty seconds over. So I'm going to cut off and go to the next segment. You are listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio with special guest Mark Siegel. Stay with us.
3: You're listening to America'sWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
0: This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare. And learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. Thank you.
2: Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thanks again for spending time with us today. Uh, We are here with special guest Mark Siegel, uh, Vice President of uh, Government and Industry Affairs at GE Healthcare IT. Hopefully got it right this time. Uh, He's been with GE over 10 years, and we are talking about one of the biggest pieces of legislation affecting the practice of medicine in the last, I don't know, let's say 10 years or so. Uh, This merit uh, incentive payment system, uh, part of a new piece of legislation legislation called MACRA. Uh, and Mark, you or I had to cut you off mid-sentence. I apologize. We had to go between segments here, but I'm just going to let you pick up where you left off uh, talking about uh, the MIPS program.
1: Yeah, so I was just um, saying that uh, for this advanced payment models option, um, which is, is really going to be a tough bar to meet initially. Again, that's what exempts you from MIPS, and you're really focused on these new value-based models that the law that Congress passed and that CMS is implementing specifically says that if you're in one of the patient-centered medical home models that's recognized by CMS through its Innovation Center, that you will automatically be considered in an advanced payment, um, an advanced APM. And so, for example, you may have seen, um, and your listeners may have seen, that they recently announced an expansion of the Comprehensive Primary Care Initiative CPC Plus, um, and that will have two tracks, one very much like the current program, one that's you know, kind of digs a bit deeper. Both of those, um, uh, for example, participants in those will be eligible um, to be considered in these advanced um, APM models. So, again, just, you know, one of those important details to, to keep an eye out. Uh, one of the other things I, I just want to emphasize is that for MIPS, which, as you said, is really what's going to affect most of uh, physicians um, initially, um, in the first few years um, of the program, um, it, the first two years particularly, um, Congress specified that, that MIPS will apply to physicians as defined by Medicare, which is a bit beyond MDs and DOs, physician assistants, certified registered nurse anesthetists, nurse practitioners, clinical nurse specialists, uh, CRNAs, and then groups that include those categories. And then starting with payments in 2021, the Secretary of HHS can add other um, categories. So that, that, that's important in terms of both who's going to be initially affected and then uh, who will not be. In addition, they've excluded uh, from this um, program, from MIPS, as I mentioned, those that are qualifying participants in advanced APMs, um, or or they have a category called partially qualifying. Also, those who are newly enrolled, first-year eligible clinicians in in Medicare.
2: Because they get dinged with no way of of redemption until they've been practicing, I think, two years, right?
1: Right. So they they don't get dinged. I remember that. They just. They they won't get ding. They just won't. Um, I think um, they'll just have kind of the the, the regular Medicare fee schedule well, payment. Well, no.
2: Well, they get. I think they get ding just for being new practitioners. I think you get because I remember that when I was you know twenty years ago. I remember that, that for the first two years I lived with a payment that was lower just because I I hadn't been in. In uh, in practice, long enough, which I think is I, I I think I remember reading that was still in effect. But um, yeah,
1: I'm I'm not certain on that. But they won't they won't be sort of facing the the, the penalties potential penalty penalties and upside of this. Then also those folks who do very low medicare billing will also right. be exempted from
2: this something like below $10,000 a year in, that's in a billing right. or so. i that's think that's right. the threshold so let's just circle back to this the, this mips thing because i think there's in the in the mips standards there's four categories right there's quality yeah, resource there, yeah. management the emr stuff which now that has a new name too right advancing care it information uh, yeah, and then so we've got these quality um, practice improvement things. So why don't we uh, sure. tell us about those?
1: Yeah, so there's, there's four categories in MIPS. Um, each of them has a certain weight, um, and, and these weights are all basically add up to 100. Um, quality measures, um, submission of quality measures, um, init- ultimately will be at 30%, but in the first year of the program, will actually be half of the total weight. Uh, Measuring resource use, that's really the cost, um, you know, of care for your patients, ultimately will be at a 30% weight, but starting in the first year of the program will just be at 10%. Is this clinical practice improvement activities, which is a list of 90, proposed list of 90-plus types of activities uh, could be uh, in multiple categories, you know, having off-hours access to your program, doing maintenance and certification activities, uh, specific activities related to patient safety and care coordination, uh, things of that sort. That's a 15% weight of, of this total score. And then finally, um, again, just like they renamed eligible professionals, eligible clinicians, They've rebranded Meaningful Use. Um, You know, I think you and I talked about some of the the challenges that the Meaningful Use program has had and some of the concerns about it. So they're now calling it Advancing Clinical Information, and and that is is one quarter, is a 25% weight. And then they've also, you know, made some important changes um, in, in that section. Um, you know, one of them, to avoid just having to worry about duplication, is, again, recognizing this is only for Medicare. So it's not Medicare Medicaid physicians, and it's only for eligible clinicians, not hospital. Is they've taken the quality reporting, in a sense, out of, of, of what, you know, we'll still think of as meaningful use. And you only have to worry about quality reporting, sort of, you know, one time. So you don't have the situation that, that many physicians have had, for example, of having to worry about reporting quality measures for both meaningful use and PQRS.
2: Oh yeah, that that's that's been very confusing. And you know, as as the guy who who writes the code for REMR, EMR, um, you know, as as you know, the GE. EMR product has sort of a, is kind of a shell, and there's a programming language inside it. That yeah, it, it, trying to write the code for all that stuff has been uh, you know a nightmare.
1: The other thing they added, which is really new, um, and it's going to take a little time to shake out, is for for any or all of these four categories, um, you can report at a group level. So it's not just you know as it is now for meaningful use, where you can send in a spreadsheet for a group with, you know, everybody's individual values, you can actually generate a group-level result. Um, you know, that's going to take some, once we get all the final specifications, some, some reprogramming. But I think ultimately uh, for many groups, um, I think that that will uh, probably re- reduce the burden and better enable them to kind of manage, you know, internally and externally.
2: So let's circle back to... Um the, uh, to the resource management thing, this value-based resource thing, because this is something I don't think, I, I know I've never had a good handle on this, and you know, they talk about cost per capita or, or spending per beneficiary, but right. um, I don't, I don't really, you know, we used to, we had a, a, a capitated network that we took in the cap payments and paid out to our docs at fee-for-service, and we talked about a parameter called cost per unique patient. Uh, and I don't know if this is the same thing or it's measured differently than that.
1: It is similar. So, so one of the, the little bits of, of good news here is that unlike the other three categories of measures where you, you have to uh, collect the data yourself to an extent and submit it to CMS, for this category they will, collect, they, they will compute it themselves based on claims data, As far as I can tell from reading it, there are three sort of main types of measures. There's what they call total cost per capita for all those Medicare beneficiaries who are attributed to you or to your group with an adjustment by specialty. There's also Medicare spending per beneficiary, and and I believe both of these are existing measures in the relatively new uh, value-based modifier program. And then finally, what they've added is over 40 episode or condition measures um, that are applicable to, um, um, you know, to to different specialties. For example, there might be one on acute uh, myocardial infarction uh, management. And so those would themselves, uh, those are kind of episodes of care that would then have the cost assigned with them.
2: That sounds kind um, so of ACO like, doesn't it?
1: It does sound ACO like. Again, they're, they're, they're sort of, again, particularly if you do it at the, at the group level, uh, they'll adjust these recognizing there's geographic variation in Medicare payments. They'll also adjust them uh, for beneficiary risk. Uh, and then one of the new things, and again, there's not a lot of detail in the rule, but starting a, a year from next January or January 1, 2018, it looks like there's going to be some additional information that will have to be submitted on the Medicare claims to enable uh, patients to be associated with particular episodes of care um, and things of that sort. So that, that's something to watch. That will be, again, the data will be collected by um, by CMS, and then they'll have a, a scoring factor, um, and they'll compare back um Uh, you know, they'll adjust 2018 based on costs for 2017.
2: So we've got about, what, two minutes left in this particular segment. So let me throw this question at you and get your thoughts. Now, I noticed inside the advancing care information piece of this, the, you know, meaningful use by another name piece, there is this attestation piece that requires eligible clinicians to there's like a three-part attestation regarding um that you're pledging you haven't configured your system to restrict interoperability or compatibility and that you haven't uh you know implemented technologies to limit data sharing and that you've sort of you know made a good faith effort to you know exchange medical records when patients um request uh Is that, did that catch your eye whenever you all looked at this? Or, you know, it's caught the doc's eye quite a bit.
1: did, Mike. I'm I'm glad you called it out. So these were actually required um, as part of the macro legislation. So they weren't just thought up by CMS. Oh, okay. Or at least the main one that you talked about. There's actually two attestations. I think one of them that CMS actually um, sort of is proposing itself. And this is to cooperate with um, the various types of surveillance, either from the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT or the certifying bodies that certify our, our, our products. And they're going to be doing increasing uh, in-the-field surveillance of products. And so one attestation is that you will actually cooperate with that, provide access to your EHR data, etc. cetera. The second attestation is a pretty complex one, three parts, as you said, focused around this concept called information blocking. Um, And, um, again, I think you you kind of outlined the key dimensions. I'd say that this is a really big deal. Um, I think it's it's one that uh, is likely to generate a fair amount of uncertainty. Uh, you know among the the physician and clinician community definitely
2: we're end of segment we're going to pick this up we'll, we'll pick this up immediately in in two seconds uh, you are listening to the doctor's lounge on america's web radio with special guest dr
0: mark siegel stay with us Thank you.
3: Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like.
1: Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on
2: butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Welcome back. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. I am your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thank you very much for spending time with us today. We have special guest Dr. Mark Siegel from GE Healthcare, uh, Vice President of Governmental Affairs of uh, GE Healthcare IT. And we are talking about uh, a very big piece of legislation, probably the biggest that's come down the pike in several years, uh, called MACRA. And the legislation that uh, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services has released and proposed and so we were talking about some of these attestations and some of these um, uh, practice improvement initiatives. So, Mark, I'm just going to let you pick up where you left off,
1: right, Mike? So, so as you picked up on um, CMS, um, largely because it was required by the macro legislation, is requiring uh, providers who are subject to this to attest to, to three elements related to, to information flow, you know, interoperability. Uh, that they're not knowingly, willy, willfully taking action to disable, you know, some of their functionality to limit its interoperability, that they're implementing, you know, available standards and technologies uh, to inv- involve that, you know, to ensure that their certified EHR technology can be connected, and there, there's a whole bunch of other words in that one, yeah. and that they respond in good faith um, if they get requests to exchange information from patients, other health providers, or or for others, regardless of the, the you know, the, the technology that that other party is using. You know, these are all, I think, really great aspiration. I think it's going to generate a fair amount of uncertainty and angst initially. Oh, yeah. Uh, given the reality of where we are, um, and particularly when, you know, folks aren't getting audited. And, and I think that, um, you know, this is an area that I would certainly encourage people to comment on, you know, particularly from the, the clinician community. Because, again, these attestations will affect them most directly.
2: Well, the trouble is, like you said, it's written into the legislation. So, you know, CMS is going to say, hey, our hands are tied. We've got to put this in. But my concern is, does, does, these, does this kind of thing, I mean, are we moving toward an era where Medicare is going to be able to have back-end connectivity to everybody's EMR so they can, you know, tap into your database at 2 o'clock in the morning and by the time you come to work at 8 You've been audited overnight with some sort of action?
1: I don't think we're really there. I I think the connectivity that's being required is really focusing at this point on, you know, EMR to EMR, hospital EMR to physician EMR. Um, You know, I I think there's a whole other topic, and I haven't spent a lot of time on it, around precision medicine where for a cohort of patients, I think it's a million patient cohort, that's being put together to, um, you know, to actually gather data around precision medicine where they're looking for, you know, almost real-time, you know, data submissions, you know, and and that's something to keep an eye on. But I I think right now this is really not so much focused on sending the data um, to, to, to Medicare but really sending, you know, the data to, to and from patients or to and from other doctors. Uh, yeah. I, I did want to just, while we've got a few minutes, just, just highlight some of the changes to what we've all know, you know, come to know as meaningful use. Um, but, but now they're calling this advancing care innovation, um, information rather. And I think they really, you know, um, I know you've spoken with the acting CMS administrator, um, you know, Andy Slavitt. Yes, um, I think the the, the the leadership at CMS really heard loud and clear uh, the concerns of, of ph- physicians, hospitals, vendors with aspects of meaningful huh. use. So they've, they, I think, taken some important steps to simplify it. Of course, it's explaining the simplification is pretty complicated. Yeah, uh, I, I think ironically, I'll just highlight a few things that they did. They moved generally away from the all or nothing approach to meaningful use now, where literally you could miss one measure by, you know, a hundredth of a point or a tenth of a point, and and you'd get nothing. Um, They've created a situation where you can get about half um, of the possible points in this category, really, for the most part, for just reporting data, uh, for doing the, you know, the security and privacy piece or, or connecting to an immunization registry. And then the other half, um, you can get, you know, relatively few or, or the maximum by, by how well you score um, on the remaining measures. Um, starting with um, sort of what would have been stage three, it's a little, um, there's a transition period for those who are, want to be in stage two next year. There's a total of eight measures in this performance ca- um, area across three key categories. Patient electronic access, coordination of care, and health information exchange. They have eliminated, interestingly, uh, CPOE and clinical decision support, really continuing down the path of, of eliminating measures that they call topped out. That is, people are generally scoring pretty high. So they've definitely reduced the number of measures. They are focusing them down around uh, you know, priorities particularly related to flow of information, and they've gotten rid of that all-or-nothing uh, piece. Again, you know, the devil's going to be in the details and, and, and how this is all implemented and, and how all of the four components of MIPS come together. That That's really going to be where there's a level of complexity. Yeah. Uh, in addition, uh, you, you've got to score, um, you know, th- the way they're doing the scoring now is, for example, Um, if you want to get all 10 points for a category like, um, you know, one of the exchange categories, you have to basically hit 100%. So if if you get, um, you know, a 50% attainment, then you're going to get five out of the possible 10 points. So, you know, it will be challenging, but it will also enable folks to say, I want to focus on these five, for example, and really go to town on them and not so much, you know, focus on the other three. So, Again, very high level, that's probably the major kind of change that we'll be looking at as we develop our comments.
2: Well, this is, I, I don't know, I've, I've got some issues with some of this. I, You know, a lot of this stuff, the electronic access coordination of care health information exchange, they've, they've pared it down to one unique patient for all of those categories, right?
1: So they've pared it down to one unique patient as sort of your table stakes, Um. And, in fact, you you can, for example, for e-prescribing, if if you don't prescribe, uh, you can do what they call null. You can, you know, basically say, I don't do prescriptions. That will get you half of the way um, towards credit for that category. But if you want to do better than than the 50% for for this, you know, what was meaningful use, then you actually have to step it up. So if you want to get, you know, 8 out of the possible 10 for something, then you're going to have to do, you know, 80% portal use or what have you. Um, So, again, it's not like an all or nothing as it is now, but to the extent that that you're going to really depend on this category to help you do overall with this program, um, then, you know, there will be pressure. Uh, It's also just important, again, we don't have time to go into detail, the way this new MIPS program works is they're going to generate a composite score across all these different measures, all the, the four categories, compare it to a sort of a benchmark, and then, again, sort of on a linear way so it's not going to be all or nothing, in the first year you can have an upside of a 4% um, sort of increase in your Medicare payments over what they would have been, or a downside is a 4% decrease. And then that sort of stages up the upside and the downside over time.
2: So in the aggregate, it's it's advertised to be revenue neutral, that you're basically taking from the <laughs> underperformers to reward the overperformers.
1: That's right. And it, 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 there's an interesting little wrinkle here that if there's basically more underperformers than overperformers, then because it's supposed to be, as you said, revenue neutral, the extra actually can get – Shoveled over to the, the the overperformers who could could actually get three times that maximum. So if you had a lot of people underperforming, for example, at the highest level of the you know the high performers, instead of getting a four um, percent bump in their Medicare payments, they could get a twelve percent bump.
2: Well, aren't they going to set those thresholds based on historical data so that doesn't happen? I mean, I, I know just enough about this to be dangerous, but I, I thought they were right, still working true. on where the thresholds are.
1: Right. That that's definitely the intent is initially to set the threshold so that about half of the dollars will flow, um, you know, will be sort of below, and half will be above.
0: Yeah. But some sort of. That's
1: going to be what you know. That's going to be the projection. That's not going to tell you what actually happens. So. Um,
2: right, but they'll well, probably absolutely- move that threshold year to year as they accumulate more data. I'm guessing.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: So, yeah, this, uh, it, it, it's very difficult to plan ahead for stuff that's still so fluid. And, uh, you know, there, a lot of people are asking, well, what should we do to, to start to get ready for this? And the only answer I can give is, you know, comment and then hold your breath and wait and see what the final rule looks like. I mean, aren't we going to get into uh, the same kind of time crunch that we got into last year when they released the final rule for stage two, which required a 90-day reporting period, and they released it with 86 days left in the year? I mean, there's,
1: there's, de- there's definitely that risk. The, the The rule has to come out by November 1 of this year. Again, that's, you know, if I'm doing my math, my monthly yeah. calendar, right, that's two months before the new program starts. Now, I think what CMS is generally planning, and they're pretty upfront about this, is although over time, you know, they see MIPS really evolving, you know, as you said, there's a lot of the DNA of the existing programs, um, you know, in the program at least initially. So I, I think they're, they're going to try to build on what they have. Um, You know, they're going to draw on existing, for the most part, existing PQRS quality measures, existing measure specifications for meaningful use. Um, But, you know, it's still this is only a proposed rule, and and we've got to look to a final. So, it's certainly something we, um, you know, as as a vendor are are concerned about based on past experience, you know, for us and, and, and for our customers. You know, we'll be emphasizing in our comments to CMS to avoid, um, you know, doing things in the final rule um, that, that really, you know, for example, would cause us to have to do any reprogramming. Not because, you know, we don't want to do the work, um, although we'd rather do the, you know, work on the functionality you ask for. But yes. because it's just not enough time because it is, as you said, it's a full-year uh, program well, yeah, uh, you've you know, got two the,
2: months. You guys have, I mean, in, in 60 days, right, Mark, you guys have to retool your product, and then we have to upgrade it, and we have to retool our operations.
1: I mean, Right. Now, I, I, what I'm hoping, and, you know, I've talked with folks, you know, internally and, 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 and other vendors through, you know, our trade association, is, is that for the most part, the kind of changes that will be needed will be in the, you know, the tracking dashboards that, that, that you talked about. Right, as opposed to underlying, med, you know, measure logic. So, as, as we saw last year, you know, it's it's a little easier if the issue is, um, you know, removing CPOE and clinical decision support, for example. I think one of the areas that will prove to be complicated initially is the group level reporting, um, just yeah. because th- that could involve some real changes in logic. Again, that's optional, but you know. The, the, if you just look at the rule, I mean, it, it is a 1,000 pages. There's a lot of moving parts. And, you Mark, know, I'm going
2: to stop you right there. We are at the end of the segment. Um, you are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio with special guest Dr. Mark Siegel from GE. Uh, we'll be back in two minutes for the final
3: segment.
2: Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on The Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m.
3: Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. You're listening to America's Web Radio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome
2: back to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thanks very much for joining us and sticking with us all the way to the final segment. It is definitely worth your while. We have special guest, Dr. Mark Siegel from GE Healthcare. We are talking about uh, the latest. And certainly in several years, the most significant piece of proposed regulation uh, coming from inside the beltway called MACRA uh, or the internal part of that called MIPS. And we were sort of talking about the guts of that. So, Mark, I, once again, I'm just going to let you pick up where you left off and uh, educate me and everybody else.
1: Yeah, thanks, Mike. So, you know, you had kind of, again, raised the question of what what can people do now, right? Yes. And, and there's, there's, there's a few limits on that. One is... Uh, this is a proposed rule, not a final rule, and, and CMS, you know, emphasizes that. And we, we've been there before, um, you know, with, with the various meaningful use proposed rules. You may remember there was a, a proposed rule when they added flexibility to meaningful use a couple years ago, and we all, you know, have to, in a sense, make bets. We have to make bets about, you know, what, what, what that's proposed is going to stay, what might change, how might it change. Um, I think we've also found that, in general, although CMS does, you know, they have to by law, and I think by experience they pay attention to comments received, they're also going to be very mindful of the tight timeline here. Uh, and, And so, you know, I think proposals that they make near term are much more likely to stay in place than those, you know, maybe a little further out when they've got a little leeway. So in terms of what people can do, I'd say first, you know, if you're so inclined, um, you know, read the rule. But um, I think more practically, go to the CMS website for this program. Um, They've really put together um, a a, a number of of sort of fairly digestible materials uh, with nice graphics, you know, three pages, six pages, uh, 30 pages if you're a glutton for punishment. They're doing um, listening sessions. Uh, for various sectors, for physicians, for vendors and others, and and posting um, the recordings of those on their website. So I I think, you know, you want to educate yourself. You want to try to think about what are some of the ways to prepare and what are some of the decisions to be thinking about. Uh, One of the things CMS emphasizes, and I think they're right, is if you're not already participating in PQRS, you really want to do it this year. Because if you participate in PQRS, um, that is going to set you up. um, It's certainly going to position you much better than than not for reporting on quality measures next year. Um, Generally, the methods for reporting... Um, and the actual measures are going to be, you know, very much drawn from what's in place for PQRS now. Well, um, you want to be the yeah,
2: for be... our specialty for otolaryngology. Yeah, I mean, I mean, most of the measures are the same. They actually borrowed a couple from general surgery to sort of mm-hmm. add to the list. But uh, you know, you talked about some of the graphics that are at CMS. You know, one of those graphics, or at least one of the statistics, I don't know if it's really a graphic or not, is the difference in. The fate of independent doctors in small groups versus yep. doctors in big groups, and and even CMS, and I and I've seen it written and I, and I've heard it in conversations that that the independent practices are going to get hammered by this thing, and so yeah, I
1: think that they they predict in their you know economic impact, I think it's something like eighty to eighty five percent, certainly north of eighty percent of solo practitioners will have. You know, will be kind of in the penalty box. Whereas I think about overall, it's about forty-five percent. You know, and so that's.
2: And I think there's a mirror image on that. I think eighty to eighty-five percent of of docs in big groups and large institutions will be on the plus side.
1: I don't know if it's quite at eighty, but it's certainly a, you know a larger number. Um, but but you know, nonetheless, um, you know, I'd say if you're you know if you're a solo practice and you've been participating in meaningful use, and you've been doing PQRS, and and you you do some preparation now, um, I I think you've at least got a fighting chance. But that's why, for example, if you're not involved in PQRS and and, and you can fit it into, you know, all the other busy things going on in your practice, and certainly for smaller groups, uh, I think that makes sense. The other thing to to think about is, um, you know, There are some decisions that can be made in terms of affiliating with accountable care organizations or patient-centered medical home projects. You know, if you don't do that by 2017, you you, you haven't ruled anything out in the out years, but you want to be at least thinking about what path you're going to want to take in 2017. You also want to look at that listing of the clinical um, practice improvement activities, the the 90-plus, and, again, really start you know, thinking about which things on that list would make sense in terms of your own kind of objectives and strategies for your practice. So, you know, th- there's not a lot you can do to prepare in terms of, uh, you know, the, the cost side, except, you know, w- within your professional norms, you know, you know, practicing efficient medicine. But I think, um, you know, thinking about what quality measures might make sense for you, Uh, what clinical practice uh, improvement activities, which of the dimensions of, you know, what was meaningful use and now is advancing care innovation, you know, which of those you might want to do, you know, are there some things you you might want to do now if, for example, you're going to focus on the one, you know, that basically involves patients accessing your portal. You know, there are steps you can take now to improve your performance next year because, again, it's really the same measures, so I think you know those are the kinds of bets and, and actions that that are probably going to be have the potential for high payoff with pretty low regret.
0: Yeah, I hope
2: so. I mean, you know, when you look at the fact that not only do we have to somehow guess regarding how to prepare for next year, you know, we still got stage 2 for this year which is a 365 day Reporting period, at least for the moment. Although there is some legislation in process that might that might change that. But you you mentioned portals briefly, so let's circle back to that a little bit. Um, and it's this concept of view, download, transmit. Yeah. And I, you know, even as a guy who's who's done you know computers and information technology for about forty years since the seventies, I, I find it hard to get my hands around exactly. What view, download, transmit means, and even the language is confusing. In some places, in the rule, it says view, download, and transmit. In other places, right. it says view, download, or transmit. So, what I, that, exactly? That's a really
1: important, Mike. Yeah, I, I. That's one of those that you know, sort of like connecting to public health registries will take sort of a dis- report, You know, it generates a disproportionate number of questions. Um, the distinction on the and and the or is sort of an important one. The and is what you have to have, let's say, as a medical group, as a capability available to your patients. So you basically need to have, and it doesn't have to be a portal, although that's really, you know, I think the, the technology model that people are using now. Yeah. So you have to basically make available to your patients using a certified capability. You know, as you know, sometimes it's, you know, part of the EHR, sometimes it's, it's, it's another, um, you know, affiliated or non-affiliated vendor that's certified, you know, for the portal. So you have to give your patients the, the ability to view. That means you go online and you can actually, you know, look at your data to download. Again, you know, you, you download, I think, a, you know, typically a PDF um, or maybe an Excel format to your computer. Or transmit, which is, I think, been sort of more complex because you get into, you know, particularly privacy and security issues, but that's where you might transmit your information um, to, you know, to another physician um, or some authorized, you know, um, somebody that you as a patient would want to exchange it with. So that's where the and is. It's the capability that you need to make available. The or is when you start looking, and it's a smaller number, at what percentage of your patients take advantage of this um, capability. And there you get full credit if a patient just goes online and views it. Um, and, again, you know, the, the different EHRs and portals have ways to count that. Um, you know, so you're really looking at any mix of viewing, downloading, or transmitting from the patient's standpoint is how you get to the credit for the second measure, which, again, is not looking at capability, but it's looking at what patients actually do. And I know that's been a real challenge for physicians to understandably, you know, to be responsible. Not, It's one thing to be responsible for the, you know, a technology deployment you control, but it's hard to be responsibility for what your patients do, similarly with secure messaging.
2: Well, that's been the, that's been the huge problem, Mark, is that, you know, I'm not sure that there's really that much patient demand for that because we studied this. We studied this about four or five years ago. We compiled data uh, with, our, uh, with our second portal vendor, which is now no longer with us, but um, that uh, we looked at, uh, you know, beyond the initial contact where patients logged in and filled out all their medical history and all the demographics and all that kind of stuff. So it all sort of got pushed to their new patient note on their first visit. And beyond that event, patient interest in using the portal was minimal. And so, you know, my concern is: are, are we sort of, you know, it's like the old, uh, you know, joke about the Boy Scout helping the little old lady across the street that doesn't want to go, and you know, he's going to drag her across the street because that's his good deed for the day, but she didn't want to go across the street. So I, I wonder if we don't have something here because the, the 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 measures that that we've seen our our old vendor go to to sort of provoke patients into interacting with the portal were really uh, unethical. <laughs> I mean, they were scary.
1: Yeah, I, I'd say that, 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 that that's a really good point about, you know, the, the demand issue. And, and uh, there's, two, there's two ways, I think, that the feds are looking to deal with that.
3: And we'll see okay. how they pan
1: out. One, One is, is, as I said, by making sort of the, the, the meaningful use, the advancing care innovation more flexible, you could choose to put your focus, you could choose to de-emphasize, you know, the, the, the patient use. You still make it available but you, you just you, 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 you put your focus elsewhere, you know, on exchanging with other clinicians, for example. Secondly, and again, this is really new, is, as you know, there's a focus, and it comes with the next uplift in certified EHRs, a focus on APIs, a, a technology way. Yeah,
2: talk about with, that. That's a big deal, yes.
1: So an, an API is, is a sort of a technical interface that enables... Um, an application, and we're all used to apps, you know, on our smartphones or our tablets, it enables an application, an app, Fitbit, for example, to to get access to data um, in in another application. And so there is a requirement, there's a new standard, um, a new HL7 standard called FHIR, again, the acronym, all caps, F-H-I-R, It's a a standard for how these APIs can be developed. And so, basically, as sort of a parallel requirement from both the technology side and and, and your side as a a physician, we'll all need to support, in addition to the sort of portal, view, download, and transmit, also having that ability to have an API so that patient apps, for example, might be able to, to access just the data, you know, they're interested in, let's say, to track yeah. their, their diabetes or their, their weight loss or their
3: congestive Without heart. Without Mark overwhelmed.
2: So. Mark, we're at the top of the hour. We are, we are finished, believe it or not. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio with special guest Mark Siegel from
3: GE. Thanks so much for being with us. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.